I think it's so important that we remember the truth of that song before we experience this rapture event. Especially when we look at our world today and we can see it's just getting worse. I say that all the time, and it's not because I don't have anything else to say. It is a reminder of the current conditions we're in today. We are very close to a world power. If it's not already in existence and ready to be put into play, it will be very soon. I think if we, as those who already know and understand salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, if we waste our time and we don't accurately pursue people so that they come to a change of mind and put their trust in Jesus Christ, there will, many, there will be many people who are left behind. And I'm not going to say it's our fault because ultimately it comes down to every single person. They have their own decision to make. But we can only help the devil when we keep our mouths closed. Okay? I, that I will not move from because it's true. I was talking with Pastor Tom Kakuza a couple of weeks ago when he was here interviewing for um, our Bible Line channel. He did an interview, and we were talking beforehand, and he said, I think very correctly, he said, every single lie, every single false doctrine comes from the devil. And we can see that in the garden. We can see that even throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas, it says they vehemently opposed those who taught following the law brought about eternal life. They didn't submit something to be changed. They didn't uh, you know, say, well, we understand what that's for them, this is for us. They opposed it because it's the difference between eternal life and eternal death or separation from God forever in hell. And so you and I have to make sure that we're sharing the gospel. That's the point of these series. Although it is fun and exciting to look at prophecy from this lens and try to understand details and see how bad it will be, the whole point of this is to testify of Jesus Christ, and we do that by sharing the gospel message. And it really is a shame on us as believers if we don't share that message, because who else is going to do it? I think a lot of times we put the responsibility on the pastor, the deacons, the Sunday school workers, and people that are involved in ministry. Oh, they will share the gospel. You need to do it too. We spend a lot of money, and it's money well spent to fill those track racks back there. A majority of the tracks that we give, um, that we have, are given out and not purchased. There's many times, and some of you have even seen this, where you say, oh, "I might not have the five dollars, whatever it is." We don't care about getting the money back for the tracks. We want them to go into your hands and then into the hands of somebody who needs to know this truth. Just the other day, yesterday, when I got here early in the morning and I saw the the guy who's been doing this inflatable stuff for a long time. Um, I remember when we first used them back in 2014, this, this young man was shadowing somebody else, learning how to take these things down and set them up and all sorts of stuff like that. And I remember sharing the gospel with him that day, and he put his trust in Jesus Christ. I've been seeing him probably once a year for 10 years now almost, and his salvation is still true as it was the day he put his trust in Jesus Christ. It would have been a mistake for me to just assume that he'll hear it from somebody else. Because I don't know that. He's right there. He's right in front of me. There, there was plenty of time to talk. And so we took advantage of that time and we talked. Was it awkward? Yeah. It often is sometimes when you're talking about death. You want to know why that's difficult for people to think about? Nobody's thinking about dying today. Did you wake up and go, can't wait to die today? No, we get sick, and then that's when most people start thinking, or someone close to them dies, they start thinking about their mortality, and that it's a guarantee, no matter what the science industry may say, no matter what our leading technology voices may say, we're all going to die one day. But when you start a conversation with somebody, it's, uh, it's a little weird, you know, they're like, I don't know, I don't think about heaven, why are you thinking about heaven? I, I learned a line from Dr. Arnold that I thought was really good, he said, you know, when somebody comes to the church to do work, he would say, all right, you've done your job, now may I do mine. Boy, I've, I've worn that phrase out. 
I remember there was one week where we had a bunch of work being done here at the church. We were getting parking stops put in. Somebody was giving us a quote for paving, and there was another group of people that were coming through, and there were about seven workers that came through the church. And I went out there, and I used that line with each one of them, and all those people put their trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know what they're doing now, but I know when the Lord comes, they will be with him as far as at the rapture. There's a teaching out there that likes to teach that only those who are faithful and disciplined will go up in the rapture. But I want to show you, before we get started in our study, why that's not true. Because that's another way to fear-monger people into serving the Lord. We should not serve the Lord out of fear, although we know His discipline is real. We know His chastening is severe. It's not pleasant. That is not why we should serve the Lord. We should serve Him Really, for two reasons. Number one, because we are fully forgiven. Amen? Anybody, no matter how bad you think they are or how bad I think they are and how undeserving they may appear, anybody, by simple faith in Jesus Christ, by believing on Him, receives the free gift of everlasting life. They are fully pardoned. It's all taken care of. That punishment that they should have bore was placed on Jesus Christ. Amen? It's true of you, it's true of me, it's true of the worst person in the world who's yet to have a biblical change of mind, which is that word repent. They put their trust in him, God forgives them. Well, that's not fair. Well, guess what? That's how God made it. And if he's too bad to get saved, what's that say about you and me? Uh Uh-oh, you notice there's a little change in elevation now. We're starting to look down on people and say, oh, I'm better than them, so I deserve salvation. We all deserve hell. Every single one of us. That's a healthy thing to remember as we serve the Lord. So number one, we should serve because we're fully forgiven. And number two, we should serve because there is a day, either at our death or at the rapture, where we will stand before him and give an account. I don't think there's anything in the scripture to indicate that the judgment seat of Christ is a whipping stand or a place where your sin is brought back up. Because the sin is fully paid for on the cross. However, there is very strong warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in 1 John chapter 2 that people will suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ and there will be some, I would say many, who at the Lord's return, sudden return at the rapture, will stand before Him ashamed. I cannot help you with that. I can preach until I'm blue in the face. And for many of you, you know that I can do that. I can holler and I can, you know, beat the pulpit and show you chapter and verse, but it's going to come up to you doing the work. But everybody who's trusted in Jesus Christ is going up at the rapture. Some of them, it's going to be great. I think for many Christians in our church age today, I think people are going to say, I wish I had given him more. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to see this before we conclude our study on tribulation trouble. We've got a lot today, so make sure you stretch a little bit. We're going to 1.30. Uh-huh. Just kidding. Some of you fear just got... What? <laughs> just kidding. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want you to look in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye, brethren, sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I love when somebody asks me to do a funeral. I often remind people of this verse. If I don't quote it directly, I will mention that last phrase, even as others which have no hope. There are funerals scheduled this week, my friends, where they will be mourning a person who may have suffered up until their death and they entered into eternal suffering. Those individuals, they have no hope. Humanism fails those individuals. Secularism fails those individuals. Hedonism fails those individuals. They have been deceived by the doctrine of devils and demons. But you and I, who know our loved ones have put their trust in Jesus Christ, We do not have to sorrow as those who have no guarantee as to they'll ever see their loved ones again or that their loved ones are in perfect peace. I used to think 
really all the way through until I got to college and started to apply more of the word, that I looked forward to heaven so that I could see my mother again. But I honestly, to be very transparent with you, I know that my mom is with Jesus and I want to go see him. I know she's there. Heaven's not going to be better for her because, because I got there. Heaven is perfect for her because she's with Jesus, the one who died for her sins. And so instead of going and saying, I'm going to be back with my loved ones and all these different things, I'm going to be with Jesus who loved me more than they ever could. And that's not a hard thing to say. It's the truth. I want to see him. And so I have hope for many people now that I've met through this ministry who have gone on to be with the Lord. I have hope that they're with Jesus. It's over for them. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. They're with the Lord forever. But I want you to see verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. The only prerequisite or requirement to be caught up in the rapture is that you believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You would have to shoehorn faithfulness in the Christian life into this verse. You'd have to do it. And I'm not sorry that that doesn't meet people's expectations. Pastors and teachers have weaponized the Word of God to cause people fear that they'll miss out on the rapture so that they'll serve the Lord. You know, that doesn't work, folks. I've seen it. The people who stick and serve the Lord are those who love Him more than anything else. How do we start loving the Lord? Like I said, those two things. He died for all our sin. All of it. Even the ones that I've yet to commit. If that's not grace, I don't know what is. If that's not mercy... I'll never understand it then. For this we say unto you the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture, by the way. You may have people who would look at you and sneeringly say, you can't find that word in the Bible, and you can take your glasses and bring them down to the bridge of your nose and say, oh, you, you don't know the Greek. Because that's where we get that word, rapture. With them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And I want you to take note of this last part here, because there's also another weaponizing of Christian service that says, yeah, you might go in the rapture, but you'll be in a thousand years of torment because you didn't serve the Lord here. I got a verse that says very plainly, and I want you to see it, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So I know I can suffer the loss of rewards. I can be ashamed before Jesus Christ at his coming. I make that choice, and shame on me if I do. However, I will never be separated from him again. Amen. And shame on the pastors and teachers that bring people into fear and bondage with this dangling of the carrot. Oh, you want to get in? You want to get in? We did a video, or a video reaction this past week. We, we worked on three of them. They'll be coming out in the near future. Make sure that you subscribe to Bibleline on YouTube. Check out the comments, too. People are not for us. They are against us, and I think that's a great thing. You want to know why? That means YouTube is driving people that are not subscribed to hear the gospel clearly. They've been listening to a lot of Calvinist teachers. And I reacted to one of the Calvinist teachers who said a statement like this. You do not get to heaven by faith alone. I'm not even paraphrasing. That's a direct quote. Okay? You don't get to heaven by faith alone. You get justified by faith alone. You already lost me, bro. I'm going to use that word, bro, because I'm just baffled already. He goes on to say, you get to heaven by killing sin and pursuing holiness. But you can't kill sin and pursue holiness unless you're fully justified by God, which only comes by faith alone. Let me tell you what just happened there. You know what that does? 
It makes a noose that slips it on the neck of people that don't know any better. I've seen it. I'm counseling people every week where they have let that Calvinist noose slip around their neck. And they think, I've got to kill sin and pursue holiness, but I don't even know if I'm going because I've put my faith in Christ, but that's not how I'm justified. But I don't know if I'm really pursuing holiness unless I put my faith in Jesus. So you know what they do? They give up and they keep listening to the man. Just be quiet and keep listening. You'll get it. And they lord this intellectual mindset over people. Then they come to our channel and how dare we attack the great titans. Bring it. I know what happened with David and Goliath. I know that the truth that we have here is not something special just for Calvary. It's God's Word. And that's the difference between Calvinism and biblical Christianity. The Word. And you've got to be able to rightly divide it. But there's so many people that are confused and they're looking back to themselves. Can you imagine how insane it would be if I woke up tomorrow and continued for every day of my life to go back to St. Joseph's Women's Hospital and try to see if I was really born into this world physically? I've got a birth certificate. I've got a birthday. How crazy would it be if I kept trying to prove that I was really born? That's what people are doing nowadays. They put their trust in Jesus Christ. They know they're going to heaven now. But they listen to Calvinist teachers that make them question if their conversion was really true. Where's the fruit? Where's the evidence? You know, the parable of the sower is important because it shows that there can be those who believe but don't produce any fruit. And the conclusion on those believers is shame on you. But it doesn't mean that you were never really saved. How does this affect the rapture? It affects the whole thing. Because if we want to share the gospel with people and we don't even know that we're born again, we're not doing anything. You're being quiet for fear of hell, of which you'll never go to because you have the sufficient work of Christ already applied to your account by faith in Him. But you don't share the gospel with anybody else because you don't really know if you're going. That's why 18 is so important. Wherefore, all these things that I've said, comfort one another with these words. With the Word of God is how we get comfort. Now, I went here for a reason. Because the rest we're going to look at today is discomfort. I can't help but when I read these, just I'm, I'm in total, first of all, shock that these things will happen on the earth. I think one of the biggest things that's going to be highlighting the tribulation period is supernatural. And what I mean by that is there are going to be things that happen that we've only seen in movies and stuff but it's going to be real. You're going to have the Antichrist and the false prophet performing very profound miracles. The two witnesses will preach and, and anybody who comes against them, they're going to be burnt to a crisp. Then they're going to die. The whole world will celebrate their death for three days and then they're going to come back. Can you imagine if that was you know, highlighting the news tonight? You know, it would change a lot of... People would start thinking seriously about heaven and hell and supernatural things, things that are beyond the, the physical and the natural here that we can know and understand. You're going to see today, I think, <laughs> these seven vials that we're going to look at smacks climate change in the face. You want to see climate change? Let me tell you, the, the climate will change and there's not going to be anything they can do about it. By the way, 12 years ago, we, you know, Florida was supposed to break off and sink into the ocean. We're still here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, and we think as humans we can control these things that God is going to demonstrate, and you see it in each set of these judgments. God is going to demonstrate His power. This is His creation. And there will be severe judgment on it. And there's not going to be, there's not going to be any kind of house that you can be in or car that you can drive or product that you can buy that will change these judgments that God is going to bring on the earth. Let's take a look in Revelation chapter 16. While you're turning there, I just want to read to you a little bit. Armageddon is the battle between Jesus and the Antichrist. It will be fierce. It will be quick. It will be final. 
Jesus will go on to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, there is no doubt that the battle of Armageddon will be the bloodiest war the earth will ever see. And you're going to see that. A proper study of this final battle takes us to Revelation chapter 16 for a look at the seven vile judgments or bold judgments. They're kind of interchangeable. A lot of commentaries I read use bold, but vile is the one here in the scripture, so we're going to stick with that. The seventh vial is the last judgment before the great and terrible sword, which is Jesus, descends from heaven to eradicate the Antichrist and his armies. So we're going to, Lord willing, read through chapter 16 and then chapter 19. We're skipping 17 and 18 because we can't just breeze through it. There would have to be a lot explained, and we will get to that probably as we go on in this series each summer, a little bit here and there. But I want you to remind you the current state of the world at this time when these judgments come to pass. It's hard to really pinpoint the exact time in the tribulation. It'll be closer to the end. So I am taking the idea that the Antichrist has already uh, gone into the temple. He has desecrated the temple. His religious system is in effect. I think it's important to remember the religious aspect of the Antichrist's rule. People will worship him. This is why I don't think you and I will see the mark of the beast in this period because there is no man to which that allegiance could be ascribed yet. There is not a false prophet who is going out and basically performing these miracles to persuade people to take this mark. You're not going to take the mark because you want to get registered to buy food. You'll take the mark because you believe that man is God. And this is a major assault on God, on his son Jesus Christ. And this is why I think Armageddon is so quick and final and bloody, because pay attention here for a moment, because this may get a little in the weeds. But that title, Christ, okay, this is not Jesus' last name. This is his title. He's Jesus, the Son of God, amen? He's going to have a name when he comes back that's unknown. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he returns... He's going against what the Bible has named the Antichrist. That word Christ means the Messiah, the, the anointed one. You've got the real Messiah, Jesus Christ, versus the fake Messiah, the Antichrist. And there's not going to be a four-day battle and Jesus is going to lose some and the Antichrist is going to lose some. No, 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 no. It'll be one thing. Literally, you'll see that bodies will explode. It's graphic. We don't, there's no technology like that today. Maybe nuclear. But even then, they're kind of eradicated away. These bodies will explode. Blood will be saturated. It's a terrible day if you are the Antichrist. And you'll see why when we get there. But that's the state of the world at this time. He's ruling and reigning, the Antichrist. His power is in full effect. If you don't worship him, you're going to be killed. You'll be beheaded. Believers are dying. They're being pulled out of hiding. The Antichrist is making war with those who believe on the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ, and he's winning. It's not like, oh, you know, there's no real victory here. No, he's going to continue to kill countless people. Then these vials come out, which... If you've paid attention so far, you have the seals, and then the seventh seal goes into the seven trumpets, and then the seventh trumpet goes into these vials. I think it's interesting that all of this is the scroll that was began to be opened in Revelation chapter 5, when everyone looked around heaven and said, who is worthy, who is worthy, and there's Jesus, he's opening this judgment. So this is essentially the rolling of the scroll announcing I'm coming, and I'm taking what is mine, and I'm destroying all those who are against me. There's been some weak, spineless preaching on, on who God is, and nobody wants to talk about this side of God. That has not changed. None of this has changed. We have to be careful that we don't water down God to a teddy bear with no anger, with no judgment. He will have vengeance. And yes, that ought to scare people into trusting Christ. And if that's how they come to faith in Christ, praise the Lord, because they won't be at this event. 
God does not change. And also, this should help us, who have already put our faith in Christ, to be ever increasingly thankful that the wrath of God was satisfied on His Son. Amen? That we didn't have to have that placed on us. Did we deserve it? Absolutely. But God demonstrated love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine the hottest liquid in the world. Think about when metal is burned down to when it's a a, a thick, molten fire, pouring that on top of an individual. How graphic that would be. That's nothing compared to the wrath that was poured out on Jesus at the cross. It wasn't the scourging. It wasn't the piercing of the hands and feet, although those things were great and terrible. It was the fact that he became sin for us. That God has not changed. And when he comes back, the whole world will know it. The whole world will know it. Let's get into the scripture today. Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. You should mark that. This is different than the seals and trumpets, although those are a part of God's judgment. This is essentially the fullness and wrath of God. All of these judgments, they get progressively worse. But this one, the word that, I, I, the word that comes to my mind is totality. It affects everything. If you remember in some of the seals, it was a third, right? A third of this, a third of that, right? Those who had the mark and these different things. You're going to see this affects all of the earth. It still is only applied to those who have taken the mark of the beast, but still there's going to be some serious suffering. Look at verse 2, the first vial. And the first angel went, I put angel there just to remind you there are seven of them, poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. So there's sores on the followers of the Antichrist here. The second vial, verse 3, and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And it, it does not say a third of it, which we know at this point a third of it has already been affected. So the remaining portion became as blood of a dead man. I think this is interesting here because blood of a dead man means that it's extremely caustic. This is not the blood of someone who's living. This is the blood of something that has been sitting and decaying. Can you imagine the stench? But also the total lack of any kind of distribution of goods. You would think, how would this not affect the tributaries and estuaries and all the... Oh, it does. But I want you to mark here something else about this vial being poured out. And every living soul in the sea died. We know from other judgments that there were fish and sea life that died, but now anybody who was on the sea at this judgment, they're dead too. So that body's plopping into the blood. It's a, it's a vile stew of decay. Verse 4, the third vial. And the, the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard an angel of the waters say, this is an important note here, and some people comment, they say, why is this part put in the third vial? Or excuse, yeah, in the, uh, in the third vial. My, my assumption here is that this is a reminder that everything that God is doing, the ones that he's doing it upon have earned it. I don't want you to forget that in verse number two, those who received the sores are those that have taken the mark of the beast. They are essentially declaring God, who is in heaven, and his son as a false god. Do you realize that? They're not saying, oh, he's dead. No, no, no. They're worshiping the Antichrist as God. That's what 2 Thessalonians says. So they're calling Jehovah and his son liars. Hold your spot here for a moment and go to 1 John chapter 5. You know, I kind of scoff at that because it's like, who would do that? Mankind would do that. You know, I, I think today, and here's the difference. I think, of course, I believe we're close. I, I don't know how close we are. Sometimes I wonder if we'll have another election cycle before the rapture happens. And if you look at what's going on in our nation today, boy, I better slow down for a second because we can get real off track. 
But if you look at what's going on today, it's hard to believe that there'll be any kind of election in tw- next year. They're doing everything they can to take out the leading Republican candidate. Okay, we'll stop there because it's, it's, not, it's not relevant. But it is a reminder of my original point here. I think today a lot of the world says God is dead. And so they're, they're, they're atheists. They don't think that there's a God. It's just this you know, humanity striving and evolution and all this different stuff. I think in the, anti- in the tribulation period, the Antichrist, he's going to show himself as God and people will not be atheists anymore. They will be vehemently worshiping him. And that's why we skip 17 and 18 of Revelation because you see the beast, you see Babylon, all these different things that are going on. And there, there, there's a whole system that is put in place where people, I, I don't think there will be atheists. I don't think there will be agnostics. They're going to go, I've seen this man, I've seen what his prophet does, and I believe on him. There's even going to be a church of the Antichrist, religious followers. But I show you this because it's important to recognize, before we go back to Revelation, what it means to deny Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God. So everybody be, better be paying attention here because this is what God says. Okay? And this is what man has to decide on as to whether it's true or not. The Calvinist goes, that goes against the sovereignty of man. No, it doesn't. This is how God chose for it to be. Still makes him sovereign. That he gave in his sovereignty man the ability to choose. But take a look at 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, that's the Holy Spirit. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Why? Because he believeth not the record, the testimony that God gave of his Son. And this is the record. Boy, that, this is very helpful. That God had given to us, those that believe, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. It's only in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So ultimately, those who worship the Antichrist deny God, deny Jesus Christ. They look at the record of God, which is in Jesus, and they say, that's a lie, and you are a liar. And I go with the Antichrist and his false prophet. So now go back to Revelation 16, and you can see here in verse 5, There's an angel over the waters that says, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. There will be nobody who says, this is overkill. This is extreme. This is how serious God takes his word. That's why I don't use other translations that take and pick and choose verses from the Bible. People say, oh, that's a preference. Careful now. Careful. You better make sure it's a preference. We change what this says, we can deceive people to believing anything that they want. And at this point in time, it has gone on for so long. You remember 2020, how long that year felt? It was just like endless, one thing after another. I remember coming back from Trinidad and they were, you know, sticking the uh, temperature gun in my face and I was like, Trinidad's weird. That's what I thought, right? (laughs) And then I, that was in January, and then in March, I'm coming back from Texas camp, and all the gas stations are closed on the inside. You couldn't get in anywhere. And we were all gripped by this fear of this virus. It's only going to be 14 days. It lasted so long. Businesses died. People went back to trusting in the government. And it's still that way. None of that's changed. I was talking with somebody just recently. It's like a single-bedroom apartment is... Well over $1,100. People are suffering. People are getting desperate. And that year felt like it went so long. I can't imagine what it must be like in that third year of the tribulation period, going into the fourth. It may seem like it lasts forever. 
Men are going to seek death. They're not going to find it. There's going to be demonic locusts on the earth chewing and devouring on men so much so that they will seek death and can't find it? No. That I can't imagine. But all of it is true and righteous. Why? Because God hath said. Verse 8. The fourth vial. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. My goodness. And you know, they're always telling us, oh, there's a solar flare thing coming, and you know. And we're all, you know, those of us who are being deceived by this science falsely so-called. I mean, we know the sun has solar flares and all that kind of stuff. I wonder how this is going to come to pass. Well, God's going to make it happen. But people are going to go out and they'll be burned. I'm not talking about, you know, doing an event out there and not wearing sunscreen. I'm talking about they will be burned severely as with, with fire. And look at the response of those on the earth. How destitute they are. How totally gone they are from anything God. Look what they say in verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory. This does not mean that they repented and that they changed their mind to trust in Jesus Christ. They didn't change their mind that God is who he is. Even when the, the ocean is blood, I think we'd have a great revival today. If the waters turned into blood, just that would probably make people go, "Uh, I need to get right with God. But in this time, the Holy Spirit's not convicting men. They're doing whatever they please. And we see a little bit of that here and there in the news. Verse 10, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, the Antichrist, And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. I don't know what is going to be in this darkness, but it won't be a fun power outage at the house during a storm. This darkness will cause pain. It's chaotic. Verse 11, And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. They kept worshiping. In verse 9, they did not change their mind and give God glory for who he is. And in verse 11, they did not even stop their sinning. They did not even stop their wicked worship of the Antichrist. Verse 12, the sixth vial. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, which we know is blood. So can you imagine what that dried, bloody valley smelt like? And now, the Antichrist is going to bring his kingdoms through here, or his armies through here, And he's preparing for battle. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see what this says. That the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. This is a side note before we get to the seventh vial. These next four verses here. 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils. Now I want you to notice something here. This is a good way to understand whether you're looking at something that is figurative or literal okay we always want to take a literal approach to the scriptures first unless the scriptures tell us we should take it as a figure of something else so there will not be literally frogs coming out of the mouth of the antichrist but these demons as verse 14 says look at what it says for they are the spirits of devils what is going to happen is the antichrist knows he's losing the people this is a change now And he's going to start spewing more and more propaganda and false encouragement to deceive people. And he's going to stir up what he did in the beginning, as is pictured in the first horse of the apocalypse. He's going to create war again. Remember, he's a military man. We saw that in Daniel. Loves military strength. Loves economic power. He does not have the desire for for women. He does not have the desire for anything except worship, military might, and money. Boy, I think if we were to look at some of the top countries in the world, we'd probably see that makes a list in all of them. The United States loves money so much, we just keep printing it. uh, 14. 
For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. I think the Antichrist is going to cause so much division and dissent that at the battle of Armageddon they will be coming together to make war in general between them all. But now when Jesus comes back they will unite their efforts against him. There's a phrase here that is put in verse 15 that has perplexed many scholars. I don't think it's perplexing when you see it in context. I think this is generally to tribulation believers, this next phrase here. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. This is a reminder to those who are believers living in this time. Keep your eyes upon the sky. He's going to break through it at this battle. And every eye is going to see him. 16, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, which is Harmageddon, the valley of Megiddo. 17, now we get to the seventh vial, and the seventh angel poured out his vial. This is an interesting note here. It says, into the air. Before it was into the earth. Now it's into the air, which is the very thing that men breathe. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Boy, the last time that phrase was uttered, Jesus said it on the cross, and he meant it then. And when this angel says it now, he's going to mean it then. It's over. This is the curtain call of the Antichrist's reign. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. There was a great earthquake. John spends time here when he talks on this. Such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the, city, and the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the, great na- of the nations fell. The great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. When Jesus had to drink from this bitter cup, he needed strength. Not because he was weak in his spirit, but that because he recognized and understood the gravity of what he was about to go through on the cross. You know... If you've got a problem taking the Lord's name in vain, you should remember what he paid. That'll help you when you want to use his name inappropriately. I cannot stand when that happens. You know what drives me nuts is that in PG and PG-13 films and stuff, oh, it's used, it's used all the time. I can't stand it. But I know there's coming a day when that name comes out of their mouth, they'll be confessing as to who he is. But you see the world today, they don't even, it's just a word. Just a choice to express your anger. Verse 20. And every island fled away. This means the plates are shaking so much that islands literally disappear into the water. How's that for climate change? And it's not because we didn't have the right washer or dryer, folks. It's because God is pouring out his wrath upon the earth. 21, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plagues of hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. Now go to 19, and I cannot, we, I do not think we'll finish. Which I know is like a surprise, but not a surprise. <laughs> Look at 19, Revelation 19, page 1348. The destruction of the Antichrist's religious system described as the woman on the beast and in the great city. His religious system in Babylon has occurred in 17 and 18. And you see how that happens. There's a lot about it. I don't want to skim through it because there's good verse by verse that will do that at another time. But in 19, verses 1 through 6, excuse me, 1 through 5, they're praising that destruction. Look at what it says. Verse 1, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore. Wow, the Bible doesn't mince there, does it? Which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And they said again, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, we've seen them before, and the four beasts, fell down and worshipped God and, uh, that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And the voice came uh, out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, 
all ye his servants, and ye that fear him both great and small. What you're seeing here is what was described in Daniel's vision in Daniel 7, where he saw the throne of God and flames and wheels and, 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 and the thousands and thousands of thousands and millions. We're seeing a glimpse of that before we'll see it again at the great white throne judgment, which will be where all the dead are brought and sentenced to hell. Now we see the marriage supper of the Lamb in verses 6 through 10. This is you and I. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. So the marriage, of the su- marriage supper of the Lamb has come, it is done, she is now prepared, and she will come back as the church. Now I want you to see this, it's in Ephesians chapter 5, hold your spot here and go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. <coughs> Starting in verse 25, page 1254. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That verse 27 is what we read in Revelation 19.7. This is not talking about you better keep good works here to make sure that you'll be saved. This is saying there's coming a day when those of us who are part of the body of Christ, we will be with the Lord without a defiling sin nature, without any wrinkle or any spot. The word has declared it, thereby we're washed by it. And we'll be presented before the Lord after the marriage supper, and we go down with him to the earth as he wages war. You're going to see why this is not just an encouragement and an illustration for husbands to love their wives. This is encouragement and illustration of something that will be true of everyone who's put their trust in Christ. Regardless of how disciplined they may have been, there's coming a day when they'll be spotless, blameless. Why? Because that's how God has said it will come to pass. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever uh, yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. That's how God takes care of us. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they, they too shall be one flesh. This is the great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Go back to Revelation 19 and verse 7. And his wife hath made herself ready, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in a helmet and in a breastplate and in armor. What? No. What is the church wearing? White, fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. We're not going down to fight. We're going down to claim the victory that he sets out. We're not even wearing a tarp so that we don't get our robes dirty. That's how quick and efficient this battle will be. And some of us, we get wrapped up in the fear of things in this life. Boy, if God can guarantee this, can he get you taken care of here? Hmm. Verse 9, And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John now commenting. He's worshiping the angel that has declared these things. And he, that angel, said unto me, who's John, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We talked about this, oh goodness, three weeks ago now, two weeks ago. what's the point of prophecy? Jesus. Not to have a book that people pay for and you have all the secrets. That's not it. 
I think it's a shame that there's a lot of prophetic channels out there that never mention that people can get saved today. Why not? If that's the whole point. No, people like to get knowledge puffeth up. Now let's look at 11. Yeah, we're just going to go a little little over. You'll be all right. (laughs) Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened. So we just saw the bride getting ready, and now John sees this. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This means that he's not coming illegitimately. He's not taking something that is not him. He is in total power and authority. This is where God, in Daniel 7, hands the keys over to the Son of Man. This is Jesus Christ, and he's going to rule from this point forward. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Part for a moment, 1 John chapter uh, 1. It's closer than the Gospel of John, and since we're pressed on time, I want you to make a note that the Gospel of John, verses uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, is an illustration, or excuse me, a straight declare of Jesus being described as the Word. And then you have 1 John here that says the following. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear you witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus the anointed one, the chosen one, Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. John is giving testimony. The things that I speak to you in 1 John are accurate. We've seen it. We've touched it. He is the word. Now we have Revelation chapter 19. As a side note, make a note of Revelation 1, 4 through 8. Another great description of God as of Jesus as the Word. Revelation nineteen fourteen, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. There is no battle equipment for them. There is no battle, and that's us, folks. We're not going down there to fight. We're going down there to rule and reign with him. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. Remember, they're all together. The river Euphrates has dried up in the sixth vial. In Daniel 11 and verse 40, that king is coming down to make war. This is the Antichrist and his armies. That sword, there's a picture in Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Not only does it cut through the physical joints and marrow, but it also cuts through our conscience and convicts us. This also is a testimony of those that are on the earth are not even convicted of the word of God. They will literally have to be destroyed. Then they will know. You're going to talk about totally bent, just absolutely against anything from God. That's what the world is going to be. It's not like today. It's going to be worse, totally different. And it's so sad. But this is the devil. This is how much he hates man. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, 15, that with it he should smite the nations and he should, shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And here is the end. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice. How terrifying this must be saying to all the fowls, the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh. And he goes through every category of man, of kings, the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and the flesh of them that sit on them, 
and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. This is that final war that we didn't look at in Revelation 14, uh, 17. But there's a verse there that says, the beast is going to make war with the lamb and his saints and he will lose. This is the first time that he will be put down completely and his reign will be over. 20. And the beast was taken after he was destroyed. The beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. I think it is so significant to note here that the very first people that will be cast into hell are those who, pro, who, who pushed and promoted themselves as God. And when you see false doctrine today, that's why we vehemently reject it. That's why we use very clear phrases. I don't want anybody to think that they have to turn from something or say something to make them saved. The Bible says believe, so that's what we should say. And it's so important that you and I recognize anything outside of that, we got problems. People deceive in that way. And you and I have got to understand the severity of this. The Antichrist, the false prophet, chucked into hell. They're the first ones. They're the first ones. And the remnant 21 were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all fowls were filled with their flesh. That means they ate good. They ate really good. And that's the end of the Antichrist reign. Done. 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bo- of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon. Who's that? That old serpent. Well, who that? Which is the devil? What's that? And Satan. It's so clear. The Bible is so clear that you know who the enemy is. Folks, you've got to know. Don't let that into the way you study your Bible, into the way you give the gospel, into the way that we raise our children. That's the adversary. And bound him a thousand years. He's still not cast into hell yet. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed for a little season. And we know what happens after that. After the thousand year reign, the devil deceives people. Again, even though Jesus is ruling, those who have the heart of rebellion, they will go against God, wipe them out, great white throne judgment, new heaven, new earth. I heard an interesting theory about the bottomless pit that it's literally just the earth's gravitational pull. He's cast into the heart of the earth, and at some point as he gets further down, the gravity pulls him back the other way, and he does that for a thousand years. And folks, he's not even counting the days until he's loose and he gets to deceive one more time, and then he'll be finally thrown in. There's not a person on this earth that I dislike enough to want them to be there. You can see how we should love people when you see the reality of the future. They hate us. So what? They hated Jesus. We're now going to deceive them from trusting in Christ? Mm -mm. I'm not going to do that. And I hope you don't either. There's that phrase in the song that Mr. Brooks would always so beautifully sing. People need the Lord. And for those of us who have already put our trust in Jesus Christ, we have Him and we have Him forever. And He's got us. But there are many that we might see this afternoon who don't have Him. And we need to be about telling them who Jesus is. Amen? You can close your Bibles. That concludes our study for you know, this summer on tribulation trouble. I pray it's been an encouragement to you. But I want to share with you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. And I know we don't have any new visitors here today. And some might say, well, why do we do this if we don't have any new visitors? 
boy, this is a reminder of what we've already done. And there may be a lot of people watching on the internet. I know that there will be in replay, you know. I don't know how many. But even if it's one person who watches and trusts Christ, or watches and does not know where they're going, we need to make the gospel clear. Amen? This hand is going to represent you, me, and everybody in the entire world. Okay? And my wallet's going to represent sin. I put this on top of my hand that represents everybody because it's so true, as the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does it mean to come short of the glory of God? You have to be absolutely perfect to get to heaven. It's 100% perfection. And we don't have that. We all fall short. The Bible says that all of our good deeds are filthy rags presented before the Lord. The Bible also says that the wages of sin, the payment, and this you should be paying attention. How can we pay for this? It's death, eternal separation from God forever in that final lake of fire. The same place where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet will be cast. The same place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what's coming for those who have not put their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, he loves us very much, but he hates our sin because sin is what causes separation between us and him. He did not create us this way. This was brought into the world by that dragon, the great and terrible deceiver, Satan. There's no amount of good works that we could ever do to attain the level of perfection that we need to get to heaven. We all fall short. Turning from sin, saying any kind of prayer, does not save you. Those might be good things, but what saves you is who you're trusting in. You're turning from your own sin, you're trusting in yourself. You're saying a prayer to save you, you're trusting in yourself, unless the content of that prayer is revealing what you trust. The devil is so deceitful, that's why I like to use plain biblical terminology. And let me share this with you here. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus the Chosen One, the Messiah. He is not the Antichrist. He is God's only begotten Son, and He came down and lived a perfect life and took our sin, laid it upon Himself, the entire wrath of God that you saw in those seals and trumpets and vials. He took that, all of it, for us, for the whole world. He was buried and He rose again three days later. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anybody, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The moment that you believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the payment for all of your sin, it is fully paid. It is finished. And no matter how you perform in this life, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you stand justified. And that comes by faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Now some would say, well, that means you can live like the devil. You have the choice to do that, but you shouldn't. And there will be a price to pay for it. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you receive as a free gift everlasting life. And God said it, so that settles it. What's the point of this series? The point of this series is to wake you up to the reality that there are people in your circle of friends, your co-workers, your beloved family members who do not believe that Jesus has paid for their sin. They do not believe that they can get to heaven by faith in Him alone. This is waiting for them should they live into the tribulation period. And we should do everything that we can to make the gospel clear. And we shouldn't live lives that mar the gospel, that bring it to shame. It's a good study, but ultimately the reminder is Jesus Christ is the only one who saves. Put your trust in Him. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow your head, please, and close your eyes? If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, I urge you to do so right now. Don't wait. I don't know how much time I have left on the earth and you don't know your time remaining. Life is a precious gift from God and He's very patient.
If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, it makes sense to me. I, I know that I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And I'd like to put my trust in Jesus Christ, so I've done that. Would you pray for me? I know I'm going to heaven. I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone by a lifted hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I trusted Christ today. Anyone before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. The rapture's coming, folks. And this period of seven years is coming quickly. In the quietness of this moment right now, would you thank God for His Son? I know we all have problems and things to do. We've got situations and issues that plague us. But I want you to take a moment and thank God for His Son. That He died for all of your sin. That there is no problem or no issue greater that you would face in this life that has not been solved in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank God for Him. Would you also pray for those in your life who have yet to believe on Jesus Christ? We can't take for granted that everybody knows. We know that's not true. I'd like for you to consider being the vessel that God uses to bring people to the knowledge of salvation. And then go do it. Go do it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we have in your word that we will be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, thank you for all that you have given us here in this ministry, and we pray that as people continue to find us here, this little church with the big bark, that they would hear the gospel and believe. Lord, above all these things, I pray that you come quickly, that we not be ashamed at your coming. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we pray these things.